0: Let us hear God's word from, um, from Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adore in the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Alright, well last time, here now a couple weeks ago, um, <clears throat> I in some ways strayed from my typical word-based uh, kind of preaching to an idea-based one. At least that's how I began and that's how I intend to end uh, here today. And that's because this topic of slavery and racism, as it's called, is uh, such a prevalent one and an important one and uh, volatile one even in uh, today's culture. And uh, we did see, though, that uh, Paul is continuing some teaching that is something that we see elsewhere, things that he has said, things that we see elsewhere in the scriptures, uh, and so forth. So what he gives us in these couple verses is not anything new, Uh, but it is uh, somewhat interesting how he puts it here in this context of the household code. And so we've talked about the older men, older women, the younger men, younger women, and now he mentions the slaves, and possibly then he is emphasizing household slaves. Maybe the the slaves who had come to faith in Crete were mostly or all household slaves. Uh, But whatever the case, these words apply uh, to any of the the different kinds of slaves uh, in the first century and certainly elsewhere. Um, Now, one of the things we did is we turned, you recall, to Exodus uh, chapter 21, and, and uh, recall that I had preached on that in, a number of years ago now, and uh, spent a fair amount of time talking about the different particulars of the, the laws regarding slaves. And, and we see that there is a, a distinction between indentured servants and man stealing. And so the, the first one is highly regulated, the second one is outright forbidden. So the slave trade is forbidden by the scriptures. Uh, But God also elevates slaves by giving them rights, something they did not have in the ancient world. And frankly, at any time in history, slaves really had no rights. Um, And so the teaching here in the Old Testament, it was a beacon in the ancient world, in this world of oppression. And then you could say it sort of in this way, (laughs) that Paul is saying similar things to the founding fathers. Ultimately, it's the other way around. Those who wanted full emancipation um, could not simply end slavery. And so the Founding Fathers, they couldn't just write it into the Constitution unless they wanted the southern states not to join the Union. They knew it was a, it was a, a non-starter. And we may debate whether that would have been a good thing. But um, Paul is doing similarly here, as we'll talk about uh, later on. And the Founding Fathers then established several things that eventually, they hoped, would lead to the end of slavery uh, here in our culture. And the one was the uh, pursuit of happiness part instead of saying property, Uh, the Three-Fifths Clause, and the 1808 Clause uh, in the Constitution. And uh, unfortunately, the Democratic Party was formed in the 1820s, and many of them were professing believers, professing Christians, and they worked hard to retain slavery in law and in politics using theology and, frankly, just clout, being a bunch of bullies. But Paul here, as I indicated last uh, time, he gives some hints to justify emancipation. And one of those is he uses the term submission rather than obedience, and he uses the term your own master rather than just simply a blanket call to obey or even to submit. All right, now, <clears throat> the obvious emphasis here is on slavery. But as we seek to make some application for ourselves today, there are points of application in regard to the employer and employee relationship. There, again, are obviously differences, but there are similarities. And so we too then, verse 9, should submit to our bosses. We don't have to submit to the boss down the street, we submit to our own bosses, uh, and we should be well-pleasing to them in all things. And this is what that basketball coach down in Texas was trying to do with his players, using passages like this to encourage his players to to work hard, basically, for their uh, employer, so to speak. But of course, he lost his job for it. Because our culture is just totally crazy about this issue right now. All right, now, we have the two main commands, be submissive and be well-pleasing. And now Paul expands on it with three clauses. And the first one is, uh, we have, and the second two go together. So the end of verse 9, he says, first of all, not answering back. All right, your translation may have a different word here or one word or something like that. Um, It's the idea of being contradictory, uh, mouthing off, you could say. Uh, Don't be refuting or argumentative. Don't be obstinate or stubborn. Don't talk back. Now, surely all of us have heard someone do this. Uh, Maybe we've done it ourselves and probably we all have at some point in time. Uh, Maybe to our boss at work, maybe to our parents at home or something like that. Um, Certainly, we have uh, heard someone do this. Uh, Maybe the boss is not around and it's being done behind the back of that person. Um, But the point here, Paul simply saying, don't join in and do that. When you are talking about uh, your master or your boss, hey, don't talk back. Don't mouth off whether you do it in front of them or not. Now, even when the boss or the master is wrong, don't do that. Don't join with those who oppose their master or their boss in this way. Now, as I mentioned last time, he uses the word submit here. So there is a place to stand against evil. But there is a way to go about doing it that is godly. Don't act like the revolutionaries. Don't act like the union leaders that are just a bunch of bullies. Do it differently. Do it as Christians ought to do. Now, the word here literally means anti-speak. Anti-speak. Do not be someone who is against speaking. Isn't this exactly what the mob does? Oh, yeah, they use words, but they're not really trying to speak logically and rationally. You're just shouting things. You you get the bullhorn and the the placards and you you go around raising your hands and shouting and so on and so forth, right? They're not really interested in discussion. Don't do that. Don't join with that. If you're upset with your boss about something, use words. Be rational. Use the law. Don't use violence. Don't use a mouth that's just going to say mean and evil things. And so as Christians, we ought to be different in this way. All right, now, <clears throat> we might think of uh, striking or something like that and wanting better pay or something to that effect. We might think of just being at work and, and uh, people are upset because their boss told them to do something they didn't like or whatever and people are mouthing off. But Paul likely has in mind here the ideas of a slave revolt. Um, This was a huge scare for uh, owners, and uh, even today, uh, for bosses and so forth, it can be. Um, In the South, as we think of our own country, uh, the number of slaves outnumbered the plantation owners and families by a significant margin, and it would depend on which plantation it was. As I mentioned last time, there were probably upwards of 50 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire in the first century. Can you imagine if even 10% of those tried to gather together and revolt? That would have been a huge problem for even the Roman army. And so a revolt, even a hint of a revolt, was met with severe force, often death or severe punishment, and so on. And Paul is saying, look, as believers, we should not be involved with those things. We should approach things differently. Don't be associated with the mob, and whether you think of that in the official sense, the mob, or in the mob mentality. Don't do those things. So here's the first thing he says Hey, be obedient or submissive, right, the word, and we well-pleasing, and don't be argumentative. All right, now, verse 10. Not pilfering, and the next one goes right with it, but showing all good fidelity. All right, pilfer, we don't use that term as much anymore. But simply we're talking about stealing, thieving, holding back. And so the idea of embezzlement certainly is included here. Uh, secretly stealing things. Uh, Obviously, we think of money here, so, you know, don't be uh, taking things from your boss or your master. Don't steal money. Don't get your hand into the cash drawer or, you know, something like that and petty cash. Don't be um, skimming off the top a certain percentage so you get things that really don't belong to you. Um, But it includes things, too, and so don't take The office pen or stapler or a ream of paper. You know, don't take a box of screws from uh, uh, from where you work or, you know, whatever it is. Don't take things. Don't steal. Same thing can be said in regard to time. Don't steal in regard to time. Now, this may be much easier for someone who's on a time clock, uh, easier for us to consider how that works. Someone who's on salary, uh, we think about time differently uh the The issue there has less to do with time and more to do with uh, doing what you were supposed to do uh, whatever that happens to be. you know for those of us who who do teaching or something like that uh, we're we're salaried and so it's it's different in the sense of someone who literally punches a time clock or something like that. But when I did that uh years ago, <laughs> I remember one time in particular and in every situation where I did. Uh, work uh, hourly, um, that it seems like every time there was a break, someone didn't take 10 minutes, they'd take 12 minutes. Anybody who had a half hour lunch, and <clears throat> 35 minutes later, they came back, or something like that. And so, you know, we should be very careful in this way. Again, salaries are different, but an hourly wage, we need to be careful uh, in terms of pilfering in that way. And so, don't Join in with others and take an extra few minutes here or there. Um, All right, now the positive contrast is given. And uh, the New King James uses the word but, but this is a strong contrast. Not pilfering, but, or rather, show all good faith. Be honest. Be faithful. Be a faithful servant in every possible situation. So don't be known as a thief, be known as a faithful worker. And notice this all idea again, last uh, time we saw there in verse 9, in all things, now here we have all good fidelity, and we'll see at the end of the verse, in all things. So Paul's uh, obviously being comprehensive in his words in in, uh, these couple verses. And so the point here is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Let's be different as Christians as workers, don't be known as the unbeliever is known by different things. They're often known as being lazy and stealing and arguing. We, as Christians, should go against the flow. Be a reliable worker, okay? And, you know, this can be challenging when you do your work at home, okay? You know, Philip, of course, you do stuff remotely, okay. How do you do this? Well, they can track you on the computer, I'm sure. <laughs> I do my work at home, most of it. You know, it, it can be challenging to be a reliable worker uh, in, in some situations. But let's be like a Joseph. right? Here's a man who was sold into slavery, and he doesn't argue. He doesn't mouth off. He's not pilfering. In fact, he gets put in charge everywhere he goes. Whether he was in Potiphar's house or when he was in the jail or when he was over all of Egypt, he was put in charge of everything, second only to Potiphar, the jailer, and to Pharaoh himself. He was known for being trustworthy. He was known for being well-pleasing and submissive and here showing all good faithfulness and fidelity. Now, on the one hand, it's kind of easy for us to be here tonight and talk about this, and we're like, well, yeah, okay, you know, it sounds good, and so on, but um, it can be very challenging sometimes. If you go to work and you're working with people who are constantly mouthing off or pilfering or something like that, and you try to do differently, they might get really mad at you. You know, it's kind of like the student that throws the curve, you know, everybody gets mad at the student that throws the curve. If If you're going to work at 30 minutes of lunch, and you're going right back and you're not hanging around for five minutes. You're going to make them look bad and maybe they're going to get in trouble. Hey, maybe they start mouthing off to you and mock you and, and push back, maybe even uh, in some physical kinds of ways. But um, stand your ground. Do what is right here according to God's word. In every way, be a good, faithful worker whether you're a slave or free, the principles are the same. <clears throat> all right, now, the end of the verse says that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. All right, to adorn the doctrine of God. The doctrine of God here obviously refers to the teaching of the scriptures, the gospel message, and the faithful understanding of uh, what the church teaches. Uh, We are to beautify it. We are to adorn it. Uh, The doctrine of God and then, of course, even God himself, God our Savior. Godly living shows the truth to be attractive. Now, this is something that I've talked about at different times here through this section because Paul uh, refers to it now for the third time. Uh, If you look back at verse 5, after speaking to the young women there in verse 4 and verse 5, um, he ends verse 5 by saying that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So notice, present it negatively. And so young women, older women, teach the young women to right, love their husbands, love their children, and all these sort of things so that God's word is not blasphemed. If you don't do these things, people will blaspheme it. So act in such a way so that will not happen. And then if we look at uh, verses 7 and 8, here Titus is to be a good example to the younger men. And note how verse 8 ends, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Note again this more negative approach. Be a good example so they won't say bad things. Well, now it's stated positively that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Being good workers is a vital witness. We must use words. We talked about that briefly this morning, but our lives say a lot, even if we don't use words. And the image given here is like setting a jewel amidst other gems, like on a ring or a pendant or a bracelet. Those other jewels enhance the main one in the middle, God's in the middle, his word's in the middle, but we adorn that when our work habits, when our family habits, when our churches are living according to God's word. Okay? And when we do, then these other things are treated as, if you will, elegant and exquisite. And of course, God in his word is elegant and exquisite, but the way we behave can influence how other people view it. If we are living a sinful life, it's going to make these things look bad, and people aren't going to want anything to do with it. But if we live a godly life, as Paul is saying here, especially in regard to our working, then people are going to look at God's word and say, yeah, I want, I want that. There's something right about it. Okay? And so those around us must be able to see that we are different. This is not for our own glory, but it's that our Savior and his word may be honored. And so here are some of the main thoughts then in uh, the end of verse 9 and verse 10. All right, now let me kind of end now where I began last time, and that is in this broader hot-button issue. And uh, in order to do that, let's do this. Let's turn here, first of all, to Ephesians and chapter 6, and uh, start first by some of the other places uh, where Paul addresses this issue. Uh, obviously, I could spend a lot of time on this, but uh, let me call our attention to a little bit here in Ephesians 6 and verse 5. Paul says these things, bond servants, be obedient, and that is the word for obedient. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does. He will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. All right. Now, where it says your masters in verse 5 and even your own master in verse 9, hey, the those words in the Greek are just... Kind of general, just your master. It's not specific, your own master, like Paul uh, says in Titus, more general um, in that way, though we could potentially understand it in that way. Let's turn now to Colossians chapter 3. And there are a number of similarities with Ephesians here, but there are some differences. Uh, but in Colossians three verse twenty two, Paul says, Bond servants obey in all things your masters. So that is the word obey, but again it's just kind of general, your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. And then he here also addresses the master. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a a master in heaven. And so both Ephesians and Colossians speak to both master and to the slave. Now, if you turn over to 1 Timothy and chapter 6, Paul then says these words. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Now that is your own master. That is specific there to the text. And notice he uses the word honor here, which is very similar to the word for submit. And he continues, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved teach and exhort these things. Now, we can spend lots of time talking about the things that he brings out here, uh, but as we uh, return to this hot-button topic of slavery in our culture, one of the things that we hear, and I just heard this from AOC about a month ago, and, uh, you know, she may have said it since then, but that's uh, the one that I had heard. They'll say, look, We should reject the Bible, we should reject Christianity, Western society, the principles of law and order based on the Scriptures, and then the Constitution, because the Bible does not expressly repudiate slavery. Listen to them. They'll say these things. If you listen to the squad or you listen to the Black Lives Matter people or woke teachers or, you know, whatever it is, you'll hear them say this. We should reject the Bible and everything associated with it because it does not expressly say slavery is wrong. Now, I just read from Paul, he says, slaves obey. And here, of course, in Titus, he says they should submit and so forth. He's not saying, hey, we should do away with slavery. So do they have a point? Is it true that the Bible does not expressly repudiate slavery? And I think the answer is no. That's not true. We looked at Exodus 21 last time, and it expressly says the slave trade, man stealing, is wrong. In fact, it deserves the death penalty. And so at least when it comes to the slave trade, it is uh, as clear as you can make it. Okay. But it is true that the Bible does not expressly eliminate all slavery. Okay. What about those who are servants already? They haven't been stolen. What about those who voluntarily go into the, a, a service profession, so to speak? Well, again, as I mentioned last time, and I uh, reviewed briefly uh, here just this evening, Paul in Titus, and even in 1 Timothy, uses terminology, honor and submit, that is specific to this idea of, um, can you say, giving an opening for emancipation. Okay? Now, he does use the word obey in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, but not in these other two passages. And as I've said, the word submit includes obedience, but it allows for the opportunity to to say that this, whatever it is, is wrong and you can stand up against it. Also, this language of their own masters, I just reviewed that in the other passages. He uses it here and in 1 Timothy 6, but not specifically so in Ephesians and Colossians. So let me uh, address this point here first. Why does Paul use the word obey in Ephesians and Colossians? Why doesn't he use the word submit there? If he really wanted to get rid of slavery, why does he say the word obey? Well, um, it may be there were some specific things that he had to address there for uh, his use of that word. Uh, But remember, 1 Timothy was written to Timothy in Ephesus, not that many years after he wrote Ephesians. So I'm not inclined to think that that's the case. I think the reason is very simply because in both Colossians and Ephesians, where he uses the word obey, he also addresses the master. And so to the slave, he emphasizes obedience. But to the master, he says, now you need to treat your slaves well. But in First Timothy 6, he uses the word honor, and in Titus 2, he uses the word submit, because he is not addressing the master. Well, in Philemon, and, and we just don't have time to, to look at all this stuff here, but um, you remember the, the story here that, that Onesimus had run away, and he was captured, and he was in jail with Paul, and he came to faith. And uh, um, notice that Paul does not command that Onesimus be returned as a slave and be punished. The law in the first century was that Onesimus would have been severely punished, maybe even put to death for running away. This was a a severe uh, uh, consequence for this action at that time. And Paul nowhere in Philemon says, hey, Philemon, Hey, You better let him have it because he ran away. No, he encourages Philemon to receive Onesimus now as a believer. Not to punish him severely, but to receive him back. Now again, we may think, well, why doesn't he just tell him to set him free? Well, Paul is, if you will, going partway there. He doesn't go that far. But he's going in that direction by saying the things that he does to Philemon. Which then leads us to the question, why does Paul not say more? Why is it true that the Bible does not expressly repudiate slavery in every form? Well, I think we have to remember the historical context. You remember that Paul wrote 1 Timothy and Titus, somewhere 63, 64, 65 A.D., somewhere in that time frame. Now, do you remember your history? Who was Caesar at that time? You remember it was 64 A.D. that the fire of Rome took place, and Nero blamed the Christians. And as a result, many Christians were burned at the stake were crucified, were soaked in oil, and lit on fire, were thrown into the arena to the lions. And this was over a lie. If they could prove that Christianity was instigating a slave revolt, you wonder what would have happened under Nero. It would have been far worse, I think. And so Paul is living in this context of hostility against Christians. And who knows, maybe he wrote Titus during these events or shortly after or something like that. We don't know for sure. But I think it's safe to say that if people took Paul's words... And say Galatians chapter three verse twenty-eight, right? There is neither slave nor free; we are all one in Christ. If they took that to its logical conclusion, and led a, a a massive campaign, if you will, to release all slaves, Christianity might have been snuffed out, as it were. Now, of course, God will not allow the gates of hell to prevail ultimately, but it could have been a serious problem for the early church. And so because of this, Paul is giving, if you will, hints. We can go in this direction to full emancipation, but we're just not going to go the whole way because of what's going on. The culture must change first and not just get Nero out of office, but the culture must change first. We must have Christians be converted that people be converted to Christianity, not just slaves, but masters too. And and, and not just masters, but people who are in power, who can affect laws and change things. Over time, ideally, slavery could be done away with, as Christianity would influence the culture and so forth. And in some ways that did happen as you go through the latter days of the Roman Empire and into the Holy Roman Empire, to some degree that did happen, but uh, not as much as maybe it should have. And certainly as we think of our own culture and our own history, there were Christians who used passages like this and took Paul's, can you say, patience and caution and used it to justify the continuing of slavery and even the slave trade. When they were in a position where they should have ended it, they didn't. And so we look at some of our own um, theological ancestors in the Southern Presbyterian Church. right? The PCA flows out of the Southern Presbyterian Church. There are some of our theological ancestors that would not stand up for the rights of all men and women. And they should have. If they would have done it, yeah, there would have been some pushback, but they wouldn't have been obliterated like under Nero. They should have gone the next step. They should have said all slavery should be forbidden, at least forced slavery. And so because of this, William Wilberforce and uh John Newton and so forth had to push and even use some deceptiveness to ensure that laws could be passed to eliminate the slave trade and then slavery in general. Lincoln, of course, he had to resort to war to make sure this would happen. Um, The church failed miserably. I mean, I don't know how you can get around that. We have failed in our culture as a church on this issue. And so when AOC and the rest say things like they do, it's because we did not adorn the gospel on this issue. And now we're paying some of the consequences for that. Now, they're using it for other nefarious purposes, and I'll say a word about that here in a moment. But um, we can understand why they don't like Christianity, because we have made this jewel of God in the gospel rather filthy to look upon. Now, listen, I don't want to minimize the difficulty of this issue. Hey, I don't think it's as cut and dry when we think about the Civil War, the War of Northern Aggression, or however you want to talk about it. You know, we have the issue of states' rights. We have the issue of habeas corpus and so forth. But we also have the issue that all men are made in the image of God and are equal before the law. Um, how you put all this together, how you wrap it together and, and make it work out in practice, I don't think it's all that complicated in one sense. But in the other hand, when you have people who are refusing to treat all humans as if they're humans, um, it, it can be a rather challenging thing. And in my view, I'm inclined to think that more sanctions and more time could have caused the South to bow and bend. Um, Others say, no, that never would have happened and so forth. I I understand it. It's a challenge. But the Bible is clear. Exodus 21, right? Man stealing is wrong. Period. The end. Okay? The slave trade is completely wrong. Unequal treatment of fellow humans is wrong. Now, voluntary servitude or indentured servitude, that's totally different. There's nothing inherently wrong with those things. If you have to pay off a debt and you sell yourself as a servant for six years to pay it off, there's nothing wrong with that. And the Bible then regulates it. If you want to stay as a servant and you get your ear pierced and so forth, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Nevertheless, God regulates those issues of slavery. But forced servitude... And the slave trade, you can't justify those biblically. So, um, Dale talked about apologetics this morning. And he asked the question, what are some ways that we can uh, defend the faith? Well, this is one of them, right here. This is why, in part, we did the CRT conference last fall. This is why we have to address these things from a biblical perspective, not using the mindset of AOC and the rest. That's unfortunately creeping into the church. All right, now, let me say a couple more things here uh, tonight. First of all, when you hear the uh, radical left saying things like this, that we should reject Christianity, uh, because they won't be against slaves, or as we've heard this week, we should it's okay to kill Christians because they're opposed to the trans community. When you hear these things, pay attention to what they're doing. On the one hand, they say, look at this, right? Look at this hand. And on this hand, they're saying, we need rights for everybody. Okay, Rights for the trans community. That we should have reparations for what was done to our, our black brethren in uh, generations past and so forth. And they're saying these things over here, and that's what they want us to focus on. But pay attention to the other hand. As they're saying this, they're also undermining the Bill of Rights through the laws that they are trying to pass. We might see that especially in the Second Amendment, but they're doing it with the First Amendment All over the place. The cancel culture is an attack against the First Amendment. So over here they're saying, we want rights for everybody. And over here, they're trying to take away our rights. And ultimately, that's their goal. Because how can they fundamentally transform America, as Obama said, unless you take away our rights? I've said in the past that I am an anti-federalist. I'm not a federalist. Okay. I believe that the Constitution went in the wrong direction, that the Articles of Confederation were better and more biblical. Okay. And so without the Bill of Rights, we would not just be quasi-slaves, as I talked about last time, but we would probably be full slaves, because that's what they're striving for. They want to fundamentally, these, these ultra-progressives, these globalists, they want to fundamentally transform America into a slave state as they institute the global reset And COVID has been a huge thing that is heading down in this path. They're using race, they're using slavery as a means to enslave us all so that a few will rule as dictators in their global governance. So for all of their hoopla and so forth about rights for everybody, their other hand is working to make us all slaves. Pay attention to it. Don't be cowed by the woke crowd. Don't just say, well, there are a few people who sincerely want equality for everyone. Most of them just want equity, which is a socialist idea. Don't be swayed by the few who genuinely seek equal rights for all. They're just being used by the radical left to um, ensure power and money for themselves. And so, pay attention to this. Be aware of what's happening. And be aware of what's happening in our own denomination. Not just historically, as I mentioned a little bit ago, with the Southern Church. But unfortunately, the PCA is not only waffling on the issue of gender theory. eh, The revoice and side-B Christianity and so forth. Not only is the PCA Church struggling with this issue. But it is struggling with this issue of race. You might remember a few years ago when the racial reconciliation thing came about. And I, I told you about it, and it happened in General Assembly and so on. And we had to um, investigate ourselves to see if there's any latent racism in our churches. And I said at the time, hey, okay, I, uh, that's fine, but where's this going? Well, we now know, within the last six months especially, that where it's going is down the CRT path, at least for some. I think for some, they're doing it intentionally. For others, they're doing it ignorantly. Last fall, shortly after our conference actually, we received a questionnaire that we as uh, elders are supposed to fill out about race. And unfortunately, many of the questions were filled with CRT language. As I've said, define your terms. And they didn't do that. And some of the terminology that was used was clearly CRT issues. And others, uh, you could go either way. But it seems to me that we as a church may fall over the issue of gender theory. But at this point, we're being cut out at the knees with the issue of race, the issue of slavery, and, uh, and basically joining the, the progressive path in the church. It's so sad. Okay. It's so sad. The PCA, I think, may fall over this issue. Okay. And so <clears throat> here's another reason why I wanted to talk about these things and say a little bit more here uh, together. Well, as always, we could say much. Let me end with this thought. Paul here in Titus, and even in Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Timothy, he is emphasizing, let us be godly Christians in the workplace. And we should do that. But he is also giving us a foundation to transform the workplace to make it more and more Christian. At the time, Paul's like, we can't change the workplace and get rid of slavery. We need to do this one conversion at a time. Let's be patient. But he gave us the foundation for transformation. When you go to work, don't just be a godly worker. Try to transform it. And so when it comes to the issue of work, When it comes to the issue of slavery, when it comes to the issue of racism, as it's called, let's not just be biblical about it. Let's try to transform our culture, transform our churches even, our denomination on this issue. And I just reached out here uh, about a week ago to someone that might help in this process. He's been focusing on gender theory. And I basically said, well, what about this other issue? And he wants more response from me, and I haven't gotten to it yet. But hopefully we can transform things to be godly and adorn the truth. Well, as always, there's so much to say. But here are a few thoughts on these things and encourage you on multiple levels here, actually, (laughs) in regard uh, to this matter. So let's uh, pray as we conclude. Lord, we uh, are thankful for your word and uh, its teaching here in regard to godliness in terms of our work and even in this issue of slavery. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit to be godly workers, that we would be faithful in all things as we work. Um, we pray, Lord, that we would be like a Joseph here in this way. Uh, but we also pray that you would help us then to um, uh, not just be, if you will, content with that, but seek to do what is possible to transform the workplace where we work as individuals to make it more godly. It um, uh, Maybe a business can be put on a different path. Maybe a, a, an industry could be Changed. And may we be a part of that. Uh, may we also be a part of it uh, as a local church as we consider our denomination and the direction where, unfortunately, it seems to be headed. And so we pray, Lord, that you would be merciful in this way, that we would be wise like Paul, uh, that we would um, um, just adorn your truth to beautify you, as it were, through our godliness and our efforts to uh, apply your word in every area of life. And so we pray, Lord, that you would um, use us here in this way as our culture is unfortunately becoming like the Roman Empire and uh, um, freedom to proclaim these things is becoming less and less. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would be merciful and you would give us strength. And so we pray this then in Jesus' name. Amen.